Well, good morning again. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. So this morning we are going to be looking at John chapter 6 primarily, if you have your Bibles or you have your tele- or telephones, <laughs> that sounded funny, cell phones, uh, you might want to look up your Bible app, whatever it might be. So John chapter 6, I've been stewing. This has been one of these more difficult messages for me. Uh, I've really enjoyed researching it this week, working on it and so forth, but I came to that point where I wanted to have a, a clever introduction they always say a good message grabs your attention right away. And I was like, Lord, what, what should I do to grab people's attention? And I think he said nothing. <laughs> Don't do anything to really grab their attention this morning. Just kind of get into it. And I was like, well, that's kind of boring, Lord. Like, couldn't I at least tell some, some jokes or something like that? And so I thought about, because we are talking about I am the bread of life, I thought about maybe there's some good bread jokes out there. But all the ones I read were pretty crummy. Eh, like what I did there? <laughs> so I am the bread of life. Then I thought about this idea. Well, the whole purpose of the message is essentially where Jesus gets to the point and says, I am everything you need. I am all sustaining. I'm all sufficient. It's only me that you should be chasing after. I will give you eternal life. I am the fulfillment. I am your full satisfaction. And then I thought about that popular 1965 number one hit. Oh, no, I can't get no satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. And I thought, well, I shouldn't mention the Rolling Stones in church because that's probably bad. So if I've already offended any of you by mentioning that song or that band, please forgive me. But it's amazing because there's a truth in that. I can't get no satisfaction. Now that song was somewhat inappropriate in in why it was written and so forth, but it's true. We seek after all of these things in life. Maybe if I date the right person, I'll feel better about who I am and I'll feel better about my purpose in this life. Because that's what this ultimate question is this morning, is what is my purpose in life? Why, why am I here? You ever lay in bed or just kind of take a moment of pause in your life and think, what is this all about? What is my purpose? Why am I here? And Jesus clearly answers this in all of his, there's seven I am statements in the book of John. And we're in this series, and this series is going to lead us right up into Easter, Easter Sunday morning. We're going to have a special event here. Mark your calendars, Good Friday at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be an interactive evening service here at Club C, Good Friday, 6.30 p.m. Mark your calendars, and I'll give you many more details to come. But ultimately, the question of life is about satisfaction, and so we may look for a relationship to satisfy. We look all the time for money. We think money is going to satisfy. It's going to bring me that ultimate satisfaction, that happiness, if I could just get rid of my debt. Whatever it might be, whatever issue you're facing, oftentimes the issue is an issue of satisfaction. And Jesus knew that. In this great story, and you can go to the next slide, Rebecca, we have three scenes, essentially. Scene one is essentially the introduction of any good story. Any good story has an introduction. Uh, 
But this introduction has so much more. And I want to look at it today with you. I want to look at the context of this. Remember, this is coming into the context of two chapters earlier in John chapter 4. Jesus has this amazing interaction with a Samaritan woman. A woman that was despised. A woman that he should technically have had no interaction with. But he says to her, I'm, I'm willing to give you the water of life. You will thirst no more. And then two chapters later, he's talking about being the bread of life. But let's set the intro here. It says this. It says, Jesus feeds the 5,000. It says, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs. So Jesus at this time, he's performing miracles and he's gaining popularity. And people are like, who is this guy? We need to follow him. We need to track him. We need to, to creep him, as they might say on Facebook. What's this guy all about? What's he all doing? And so he starts to gather these crowds around him. It says, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. This is important to note. The Jewish Passover feast was in recognition of what it, the Israelites had done and how Moses had um, led them through the desert out of the oppression of the Egyptians. Very important event that's noted here in John chapter 6 in terms of the context. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Philip was kind of the, the treasurer of the group of 12, and he's of uh, the 12 disciples. So he says, uh, he asked this only, oh, sorry. He asked Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for he had already had in his mind and knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for this crowd. Another of his disciples, Andrew, that's a really good name, by the way. Anyone, anyone about to have a child? Andrew, Andrew's a good name. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go? How will they go among so many? Jesus said, have people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men. So they figure if, you know, if there were wives and children that this crowd could be much bigger than even the 5,000. It says, then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did this. He did the same thing with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. There's a few things I want to note in scene one here for you to just, and these may not be on your sermon notes. The sermon notes are a little bit different uh, that you might have picked up the sheet with than what I was going to share with you today. The first thing I see is in verse 9, we have this boy. <laughs> this boy has some loaves and he has some fish. But what I see as example to us in this is this boy is asked to give up his lunch 
and he freely does so. Now, maybe the boy was intimidated, maybe thought, oh, I'm in, I'm in a crowd here, and this miracle worker is asking for this, and the guys who kind of surround him, his posse, so to speak, are asking for this food. But I don't necessarily see that as the case. I think there's a, a spiritual illustration here is that this boy gives what he has, and not only what he has, he gives all of it freely. See, we're the type of people who like to barter. Well, Jesus, you're, you're asking me for my entire lunch? No, no, no. Like, I, I'll give you the shake, but I'm keeping the burger and the fries. And we do this. We barter. We don't freely give everything over to Jesus. In verse 11, just a quick note, Jesus gives thanks for the bread that is provided. I encourage you to continue to give thanks wherever you can for the things that God provides you. Every night, and I know this maybe sounds trite or selfish or whatever, but I have a king-size bed, and I love it. I, will ne- I could have the smallest bedroom in the world, and I'll never go back to a queen-size bed. Even if the bedroom just fits the mattress, so be it. I'll put my dresser outside in the hallway, whatever. But every night I lay down and I literally thank Jesus for my pillows. I have two comfortable pillows and my king-size bed. And it's part of my prayer every night. Lord God, thank you for this incredible blessing. And then I think about the thousands and millions of people who don't have anything like that. And it humbles me. It, It puts me in a place of posture to go, man, you are blessed. And I hope you could do the same. I hope you can give thanks with whatever God has given you and or blessed you with, no matter how much, no matter how little. Verse 13, his provision is always more than sufficient. Twelve basketfuls come back. It's a miracle. It literally is a miracle. But it's another spiritual illustration of what we give. And I'm not talking about gospel, uh, what do they call that when you give and get back? Um, prosperity gospel. Thank you so much for interacting with me. Lost that word. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about a spiritual principle that says, when you give, I'm going to give back to you so that you are not in need. It's not about getting all the fancy stuff in the world. God's not here to do that with us. He may choose to bless you that way. But that's not his promise. His promise is, I will supply your need. I will supply your need. Verse 13. Verse 15, they they see the miracles that Jesus is doing. They see his popularity, and they're like, this is our next king. This is the guy. This is the guy who's going to free us from, from the tyranny of the Romans. And so quickly, we're going to see in this next chapter, Jesus says, I'm not that guy. So many of us in this Christian culture right now, and it drives me bonkers. Yes, this is my bunny trail for this morning. North American Christianity, you are selfish. You are arrogant. You think this is all about loss of your freedoms, and so guess what? You don't have any freedoms So be blessed with what you have. And don't be so arrogant. And when you become arrogant about what this country is or isn't, go to a third world country and do some missions work. 
It honestly disgusts me. Jesus wasn't here for that at all. He came to remind us that we are nothing, we are aliens to this world, that there is a better kingdom, that there is a different kingdom, and it is his kingdom. Verse 15, he reminds them that he's not here about this kingdom, he's about his father's kingdom. They were hoping he would be the next new Moses. Come on, Jesus, take us out of this crappy world. Take us out of the bad things that the Romans are doing. He's like, (laughs) you don't get it. I'm not here because of politics. I'm here to love you. I'm here to free you of sin. I'm here to enter you into a beautiful, new, eternal kingdom. There are four possible solutions to the problem going on in this scene one. One is the scene uh, where money, (laughs) they ask Philip, hey, Philip, how much is this going to cost? Philip's like, we can't afford this. Oop, that solution's out the door. We don't have enough money. What about people in verse 9? Well, hey, we got this kid here. He's got some stuff. Maybe we can use him. Yeah, okay, let's, let's try that solution. Then we get to the next solution is Jesus in verse 11. Well, that's a, a no-brainer. How about we let Jesus take over and, and do his thing here? Or the other solution that isn't mentioned in the scripture, but it's very calm to us as Christ followers, we just turn and go the other way. We see a problem, not my problem, and we walk. Four solutions to scene one. Thankfully, the solution gets passed over to Jesus as being the solution. But it's not entirely the solution because the solution comes with a broken heart and a a heart that says, well, it's not really Jesus we want. We're just looking for what we can get from him. And we're going to see that in just a moment. John 6, carrying on, verses 16. Now we have this very peculiar moment. And in my Bible, it's titled, Jesus Walks on Water. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. When they got into a boat, they set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. So essentially a storm is is starting to brew up here. It says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. It says they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing, (laughs) this is so funny, then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. If you're looking at the story and you're tracking the story at all and you're familiar with it, we get from Jesus doing this incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000 plus people and then we have this what I call kind of interlude. If you've ever been a part of a story or a movie where you've been like at the end of it, you're like, what was that about? Like, what did that part in the middle have to do with anything? Well, again, it's, it's a piece of this. It's a piece where Jesus has performed a miracle. He's performing essentially another miracle. He's walking on water. He quiets the, we don't know if this is the big storm that's in one of the other gospels. It's quite possibly that those are very two different scenes. But we see that Jesus calms this storm. Now, the first thing I see in verse 18 is this. The people have gone from a high over here of getting their, their, their needs met through the bread. 
They're all hungry. They're listening to Jesus. They're following him in anticipation. They think he's going to be the next great king warrior. All these things. And everything's tickety-boo. And then the disciples, and the disciples must be beyond their minds. They must be like, oh my goodness, we've been walking with Jesus for a while, but look at what he did yesterday. And then they get in the boat and they start to go to the other side of the lake and they run into the storm. And the storm happens and so a couple things are happening here. One, it's another miracle of Jesus' grace. Jesus is saying, I am a God of miracles. I can do these things. But what I think he's more saying is this, is there's two things. One, I think he's illustrating that life can go from a high to a low like that. You ever been in that moment where like, 30 minutes ago, you were so thankful for your relationship with Jesus and you're on a high and you're thinking, man, I got the world by the whatever. And the next thing you're like, you get a phone call or you get an email or something and you just plummet. And you're like, oh my goodness, life stinks. I think Jesus is literally showing us that this is what happens in life sometimes. You went from this high yesterday, guys, to now to this storm where you need me again. And don't forget that you should always need me. Now, I think what it does is it shows God's grace and Jesus' grace and the fact that he reveals this miracle. But it also reveals this. And this is awesome. Jesus will do whatever it takes to get to you. He will walk on water to get to you to remind you of his love and his grace and the fact that he is all you need. He is all sufficient. I think that's why this little weird sidebar story is placed in between these two things. Then we get to scene three, the final scene, the concluding scene, and it's this incredible story of how salvation is free and how God's provision for us is free but it's not cheap. In fact, it is extremely costly. Jesus said it this way in one of his pieces of scripture. He said, it will cost you your life to follow me. But let's read the story. John chapter 6, verse 24. It says, the next day the crowd had stayed on the opposite side of the shore, realized that the only boat who had been there and that Jesus had not entered in with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, very, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who is sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, 
Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come, and whatever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up the last day. Sorry. Scene three begs a question very specifically that comes out of verse 26. The question is this, as Jesus says, I've done these miracles, but you've come to me again, and you haven't come to me to essentially for the right reason. You've come to see what else you can get from me. And so it begs this question as the reader, as today's Christ follower, it begs, are you a taker or a user or both? Are we takers? Are we going like that negotiating thing I said earlier? Are we going to Jesus to say, well, Jesus, I'll follow you, but this is going to be my part of the deal in order to do that? We see in the scripture it mentions the seal is upon Jesus. A seal is a, a legal transaction. It's, it, it authenticates a legal situation. And so the seal of Jesus is the legal transaction that's happened between him and God the Father for the permission of Jesus to come here and go to the cross for us. In verse 28, the question is asked, are you a worker or are you a worshiper? See, Jesus says very clearly this, that there aren't works that you can do to earn this. There are works you can do in thanksgiving for this. But you aren't earning my love by anything you can do. I love you in spite and in fact of what you can do. That's an incredible promise that we should all be so, so grateful and honored for. But it begs the question, are you a worker or a worshiper? Are you legalistic? <laughs> are you just doing the check marks? Because you think that's what you should do? Or are you doing it because you have a love relationship with the one who went to the cross for you? True satisfaction comes from sanctification. What is sanctification? It's the process of being made holy. It's the process of asking for forgiveness and saying, God, you know what? I have dishonored you this way. Make me holy. And when we are made holy, when we are sanctified, our, sa our satisfaction level is no longer. We recognize that our true satisfaction comes from Christ alone. We see a couple things here. We see that Jesus says, I am. Now we often refer this back to Moses when God said to Moses at the burning bush, say, tell the people I am who I am. This I am is a, a really interesting word. We often uh, associate it with Yahweh, but it's not really Yahweh. Yahweh means God the Lord. It doesn't mean I am. I am means Aye. Aye is how you would pronounce it in Hebrew. And, 
And what it literally means is, it, it, it means I was, I am, and I am to come. And what's really interesting about that, back in Exodus, where that's being said to Moses as God is saying, I am who I am, Jesus says it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am. I was the beginning. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I was the beginning, the end, and I will be the future, and I will be the eternal one. It's an incredible connection there. So when Jesus uses this phrase seven times in John, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am, I am, I am, he's making a connection. He's saying something very specific to the people. I and the Father are one. He's literally saying to them, I am God. And I am eternal. Now, just because something is free does not mean it's going to cost us something. Just because, how many of you have been there? You've been invited to something? How about those free seminars, right? You go to the free seminar, and then what happens at the end of the seminar? Okay, now I need to sell you something. Jesus isn't doing that with you. Well, in some ways he is. He's saying, I have this incredible gift of love and grace for you. And it's free. But it does require one thing. And it's a costly thing. It requires your belief in me. It requires your commitment to me. So, so what? We, how do we apply this to our lives? Well, number one, two things, I think. Stop trying to fill your life with things that don't satisfy. Just stop it. Your brand new vehicle, your upgraded house, your whatever, blah, blah, blah. Your new jeans, your new, I don't care what it is. Your new fancy dress shirt. You guys like my dress shirt? No one has said anything about this shirt yet. Just stop trying to find things that will satisfy. Jesus is your true one satisfaction. Then number two, I see this, accept Jesus' invitation. In verse 35, it said this. Let me reread it to you. Verse 35 said, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, will never go hungry. He's giving you an invite, and he's not talking about food here. He's talking about salvation and eternal life. He's talking about giving up all the junk in your life, all the stress, all the worry to say, you know what, I've got it. I've got it. I'm the great provider. I'm the bread of life. You don't have to hunger for anything. I'm the fulfillment of everything you need. Stand with me for a moment, please. We don't have a a song at the end here. We're going to just close with a prayer. So let's just pray. Heavenly Lord and Father, thank you for your word. God, your word is beautiful, bold, and tough. 
God, anyone who says it's easy to be a Christ follower is so wrong. So, so wrong. But God, you love us. You love us, you love us, you love us. You are so gracious. You have provided so incredibly well for each of us. God, we have won what I know Shane Claiborne calls the cosmic lottery. I know we shouldn't talk about the lottery in church, but what he means by that is to be born in North America and not somewhere else is such a blessing. God, I think sometimes we don't get this scripture because we just don't understand it. We don't know what it means to be in want. Oh, we want selfishly. We got all kinds of things we want. But what we need is entirely different. God, we need a fresh and new infilling of you and your spirit. God, do that for me. I confess I need that. Help me not to get caught up in all the junk of this world. Things that rust, things that get destroyed, relationships that don't last, politics that don't matter. God, come upon me in a new and a fresh way. God, and maybe there are others who would echo that prayer with me. I, I don't want to pray for others, God. They can pray for themselves, but perhaps that's something they want to think about this week. God, thank you that you are the great provider. Thank you that you do give us our daily bread. Thank you that we do not need to be in want. But God, as this illustration, as this incredible chapter teaches us, help us not to use you, but help us to worship you. Help us to be so grateful for what you've done for us. May we be kind this week. May we look for opportunities to bless others with what you've blessed us with. God, just lead us and guide us. And God, now as I recite this priestly blessing from Numbers 6, 24 to 26, I just pray that you would be gracious with us as we leave this place today. Guide us this week, we pray these things in your name. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Bless you, church. Love you so much. Have a great week.